back to the Not Good Podcast. I'm Molly Jamison at LCSW. And before we get to today's episode, which will be another solo one, by the way, I wanted to share a quick announcement that is rather bittersweet. Almost seven months ago, I made something I dreamt up over two years ago reality by launching this podcast. Since then, it has become more than I ever thought possible. I've released episodes 27 weeks in a row, not just as a host, but as my own producer, editor, social media manager, marketing director. 14 of those weeks so far have been as a therapist with a brand new job while battling the exhaustion of the first trimester of pregnancy. I've gotten incredible feedback, not just from loved ones, but loved ones of loved ones, expanding my audience to people I've never met. I've connected with incredible strangers who love my content and have since gotten to collaborate with. I've gained an incredible amount of experience that comes with being an indie podcaster, which while being so much fun is a lot of hard, sometimes tedious and taxing work. And nearly 2000 downloads later, it's time I temporarily hang up my hat, or should I say my many hats. (laughs) Season one of the Not Good Podcast will conclude on May 1st. I have every intention to come back to podcasting when life gives me a little more breathing room. But as of now, I need to focus on preparing for my daughter's arrival and the job that will allow me to put some food on the table for her which is necessary because this girl will not be a picky eater, so help me God. I'll save all my sap for the last episode in two weeks when I'll also share with you when you can expect me to return and how, because the Not Good Podcast will definitely be taking a shift when it comes back. But for now, I just want to say thank you for every download, for every listen, for every piece of feedback, for every time you've shared an episode with someone else, for every response you've provided when I've asked some help from the public. For those who had the boldness to reach out to me personally, asking if they could use this platform to tell their story. For everyone who agreed to be a guest. You all matter so much to me, and I can't thank you enough for joining me on what I'll call the beginning of this journey, because I'm sure there's more to come, and I consider this a learning experience to project me toward the rest and make it even better. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Now that that's been said... Let's kick off the third to last episode of season one, which was requested of me by a listener a few months back, so I couldn't finish off the season without it, partially to honor said request, but also because this was one I'd hoped to cover at some point because of how needed it is. This one is for the teachers. There's a million different specific professions I could cover here, many of which are deserving of their own designated episode. So I was teaching on my mind before it was even requested by someone in the field. Because quite frankly, I think they're the most underrecognized, underpaid, and underappreciated people. And as the years go on, it just seems to get worse, particularly as they continue to recover from the 180 their roles took at the height of COVID. If they've even made it that far. As in recent years, many have walked away due to the toll it's taken on their mental health. Because of that, I think they deserve a spotlight and some advocacy. So let's start with the teachers themselves. I asked them what makes their job so hard. Here are some responses. School boards have removed a teacher's ability to discipline appropriately. There's no order. It's never the student's or parent's responsibility, always the teacher's. Kids have free run of the schools. We can't say anything without being labeled hateful or a bigot. My students meow their answers back to me, and there's nothing I can do. The final straw for me leaving teaching was when I was asked to sign a letter of intent for the next school year that essentially said, this is not your job, it's your whole identity. 
and I never signed the letter and gave my resignation two and a half months later. The parents were all told without my consent that I had signed and would be back the following year. They didn't find out I wouldn't be there until they showed up at the welcome back to school picnic and I was nowhere to be found. Being asked to give my third graders a 30-page test, spending a whole professional development day on truncating, not being able to fall asleep at night because I'm thinking of all the ways to protect my students from a school shooter, a student screaming and banging on the wall outside my classroom for 40 minutes while I'm trying to teach math, having students in your classroom who have been sexually assaulted and still trying to teach them fractions, lack of support from leadership, calling DCF or the Department of Children and Families multiple times, and giving statements to the police. Being put in positions that are not aligned with laws and are not best for our students. Ex-administrators would know that student A was legally entitled to accommodations or extra help and would not help teachers find ways to make the needed accommodations or support possible. The constant push to meet standards after COVID without providing time and materials to help students with academic and social regression. The goals were not realistic and the pressure and lack of support was unbearable. Lack of resources and support from administration leading to feeling helpless when it comes to supporting and providing for a child. My administration once sent out an email to parents saying all the teachers got together and we agreed that instead of Christmas gifts this year, we'd like you to donate to us attending the out-of-state teachers conference in a few months when that meeting and agreeing never happened. Grueling hours and the societal expectations that teachers work beyond contract hours because we have, quote, summers off. Inequitable pay for the level of competence and time expected. When I walk away making less than $45,000 a year with a master's degree compared to the people I know whose jobs only require a BA, offer flexible work schedules, unlimited PTO, maternity leave, and etc., are taking home close to $90,000 a year. The fact that as a teacher with both a bachelor's and master's degree in education and two teaching licenses, I was paid $18.75 an hour and my administration thought I was overpaid. The anxiety of needing to take a sick day, especially in a COVID and post-COVID world. For most people, someone can make up slack or they pick it back up when they go back to work. Teachers are required to write full lesson plans for subs that are often harder to write than our own and finer own subs, etc. I hear a lot of themes in those responses. Kids not being disciplined, a push to meet certain standards, lack of resources and support from administration, low pay and limited benefits, no coverage and needing to plan for when you're sick. Aside from these, I have other friends who are or once were teachers who have shared the horror stories. I've heard about an increase in children displaying sociopathic behavior such as animal harm. I've been vented to about parents who think their child must be the only one in the classroom based on the daily miles-long emails sent demanded that they're given more attention. And when they don't, that teacher is constantly complained about to the administration. I've seen photos of classrooms completely torn apart as if a pipe bomb went off inside of it at the hands of a single student. And the parent's response, it might include something along the lines of, that means you weren't addressing them in the way they need to be. Or I can't imagine what the issue was. They've never done this at home. My mom, bless her heart, worked as an early childhood and elementary school teacher for over 30 years. She retired in 2021. I approached her for some insight on the topic because it seemed as though the field was going downhill even before a global pandemic flipped it on its head. I wanted to know what seemed to have changed over the years that made the job all the more difficult. She echoed a lot of what's already been mentioned, but has her own take as well. In her opinion, which I personally trust because this woman rocked at her job, 
is a noticeable decrease in the attention kids are receiving. She did specify that some families simply do not have a choice. Single parents who work multiple jobs to feed their children may not be at home to read to them before bed or give them a hug before they head on the bus. What she especially means here is the increase in cell phone use that has made us all more disconnected and disengaged than ever before. And when we don't want our kids interrupting our precious time scrolling Instagram, what do we do? We fork them a tablet. Toward the end of her career, my mom saw a drastic increase in, quote, zombie kids who had no idea how to interact with others. Social skills have never been worse. And when kids don't know how to articulate what they need, they misbehave. Because even negative attention is better than none. And at the end of the day, that's all they want. My mom believes we're at a point where the classroom likely has more children in this category than those who do receive attention, validation, and engagement in the home, who can sit quietly long enough to do work independently and know how to speak politely with their peers and teachers. These days, you might get a handful of those. And those children are forced to leave the classroom, traumatized, when the child desperately seeking attention clears it out after flipping every other desk. She added that it seems today parents are expecting educators to teach their children everything, and learning is only happening within the classroom. Kids are entering schools without ever having picked up a book, and if they have, without anyone guiding them to pronounce the words correctly. Kids are coming to school with decreased fine motor skills because no one has taught them how to hold a pencil. Kids go to school and learn 2 plus 2, and if they're getting the answers wrong, it's the teacher's job to correct it. Parents are less often sitting down with their children and helping them complete homework correctly. But if they get a zero, it's the teacher's fault. And that's just with academics. It seems today teachers are also expected to be the ones who teach children how to express emotions, how to appropriately interact with others, how to say you're sorry. Either there's no time to teach these social emotional skills at home anymore, or they just aren't as valued as they used to be. She recalled one story in particular in which a child was sent home due to their destructive behavior. This was shortly following the return from virtual learning during COVID, and their parent was asked to please put their mask on before entering the building to take them home. The parent's response? You're all effing stupid, and this is why I don't even want to take my kid to this effing school. Oppositional kids sometimes come from oppositional parents. They learn, if I don't like the rules, I don't have to comply. And boy, have we seen a lot of that these days. She agrees that teachers don't have the support they should either. In her words, quote, it takes a village, and some villagers don't want to spell YMCA with you, end quote. She specifically has encountered school social workers who sit in their office all day, or simply are the one counselor a school of hundreds of kids has, making it impossible for them to see children in need routinely. As someone who once subbed in her school, I can attest to this. After calling the social worker to the classroom I was in due to a student that was misbehaving to the point of disruption, she came in, said maybe one or two sentences to the kid, looked at me and replied, she just needs some tough love. As someone who was interned twice in schools, that would have been my cue to take the kid out and bring them into my office for 30 minutes to determine what the root of their misbehavior was stemming from. But we must have gone to different schools. <laughs> my mom also laughed at the ironic measures that were placed on teachers following COVID to ensure they were taking care of their own mental health. After COVID, her staff was mandated to watch a total of eight hours worth of video prior to school day starting about how to take care of your own social emotional well-being. Taking care of their mental health became another mandatory to-do on their task list. Now, you could chalk all of the above up to opinion, but let's also take a look at the research. According to Healthline, teachers have twice as much stress as any other worker in America. They're also more likely to report symptoms of depression and anxiety. Why? 
Well, like my mom mentioned, aggression and violence rates in students certainly have increased, particularly after the period of virtual learning during the height of COVID. When I worked in nonprofit administration, we expected our referral rates to increase significantly in the fall of 2021, as abuse and neglect that went unreported for nearly two years was suddenly noticeable by extra sets of eyes. As we predicted, referrals increased drastically over the next six months at rates we'd never seen, mostly from schools or child protective services. And according to Fox Business, this is a huge reason for why behavioral issues are on the rise. For two years, children in unsafe or unnurturing home situations went unnoticed. This was layered with a period in which they weren't socializing and were isolated. With the return to school, kids who had only ever been in their houses were suddenly surrounded by peers and stimuli. Getting attention was drastically more difficult, and when they don't know how to appropriately ask for it, or honestly, not need it at all, they act out. Peers are hit. Teachers are sworn at. Chairs skyrocket across the room. And it all translates to, I'm not getting what I need, and no one has taught me how to do that appropriately. And according to Teach Magazine, in a lot of cases, parents are helping. Decades ago, if you were punished at school, you'd likely get more of it at home. I know that was true for me in the 90s. If I got in trouble there, I'd be grounded once I walked through the doorstep. But today, there's an increase in language such as my kid wouldn't do that, or what did you or another student do that made them act out? As previously discussed, this is an indeed because a lot of times, parents don't have the time or patience to ask themselves what's really going on with their child. It only takes a moment to point a finger, forget it ever happened, and continue with their child as they were previously. These reactions may also be guilt-induced because their child's behavior is a direct result of the lack of time or energy they offer them. So they make up for it by making the teacher the enemy, and their kids pick up on that. Well, mom says I'm right, so I must be. And also, that makes me like her more. In an opinion article, Richard Warzel makes another very interesting point. Today, kids are used to flex our status like a flashy car. When a teacher has a complaint or needs to discipline a student— They're tainting that perfectly posed photo of the adorable child all of your Facebook friends see as perfect, a direct reflection of you. And because of that, parents are more likely to be on the defense. You're not just telling me my child is bad. You're ruining the image I'm trying to upkeep. In the same article was another thought-provoking observation. As women are waiting longer and longer to have children, when they do have them, they are seen as more of a prized possession, something long-awaited for. In the 70s, I might be on my third or fourth child now. Instead, I built a career force, and now I'm 18 weeks pregnant with my first at age 30. There isn't necessarily anything wrong with this at all, unless I now treat my child with a heightened sense of entitlement. But this seems to be happening, and therefore more children are being raised with what's called little emperor syndrome. I get everything I want from my family while I'm at home. I never hear the word no. God forbid anyone tells me that anywhere else, I'll just about poke your eyes out. And that's when mom says, what? He's never done anything like that before. Well, yes, because you've never taught him how to properly take rejection, because he has just about never heard the word no before entering this building. But even still, it must be the teacher's fault that your precious baby displayed such monstrous behavior. It's easier to think that than to consider you might be doing something wrong. Another issue is the overall decrease in prestige that teachers have. Teachers were once some of the most educated people in our country, and with it came a higher demand for respect. But today, most jobs now require master's degrees. In a lot of cases, work is valued over time with family. The outlook is changing. Teachers get off easy. They work a nine-to-five routine schedule. They have weekends off. They get spring break and summer vacation. But that's the farthest from the case. 
The truth is, teacher demands have never been higher, according to Education Week, especially over the last decade. They aren't just there educating your children during school hours. They're trying to get your children in addition to another 20-plus students to meet Common Core and Next Generation Science Standards. Where teaching was once creative, it's now prescriptive. Anything they teach needs to fit into the box of what the state is telling them to do. This makes the numbers look nice and therefore gets their school more attention, grants, and resources. It's all on them. In many states, this also contributes to how their performances are evaluated. So a lot of them are prioritizing this over planning time, grading time. They're so worried looking at the numbers and statistics that they're taking your kids' homework home with them to grade on the weekends. They're also now expected to be their students' therapists, something they receive very little training on. Because of technology, 15% of students report being bullied via social media or text. Between 2007 and 2017, teen suicide rates increased by 76%. The rate for 10 to 14-year-olds tripled in that time frame. It's safe to assume that both have continued to increase as depression and anxiety rates doubled in children during COVID. We're now trying to teach students who are constantly in fight-or-flight mode. Teachers are expected to cater to the individual triggers of every child. School has also become more political. Between January 2015 and December 2017, Education Week examined over 500 hate incidents, most of which targeted students who were Black, Latino, Jewish, or Muslim. And with that, teachers have been given the responsibility to not just teach students how to subtract, but how to be anti-racist, something not all parents agree with. And in an era that is so politically divisive, that hate then spreads toward the teacher, who was then accused of pushing a liberal agenda. This has also been heightened by a push for gun control, as school shootings are happening at rates we've never seen before. Ten years ago, we'd heard of Columbine and Sandy Hook, which seemed like rare freak occurrences. Today, I can't name all the major school shootings off the top of my head. Since the Sandy Hook massacre in December 2012, there have been 189 shootings at schools that have resulted in at least one fatality, according to CNN. Most notable are Parkland, Uvalde, and most recently, the Covenant School. Most of us have also heard of the teacher in Newport News, Virginia, who was recently shot and injured by her six-year-old student. Teaching has come to a point where a major role of the job is figuring out how to keep our students and ourselves safe. Active shooter drills are now the norm. I recently saw a video of a teacher who had a wall that pulls out to become a bulletproof enclosure for students to hide in. Today, teachers are kept up at night with thoughts like, what if I'm next? And if so, where do we go? What could I do? And sadly, some of their fears come to life. These are thoughts that didn't cross anyone's mind when my mom began teaching in the mid-80s. Back then, you could just be a teacher. Today, you go to school for teaching but also become a mental health counselor, statistician, behavioral analyst, and unarmed police officer. All of this has led to an incredible amount of turnover, and because so many teachers and substitutes are leaving, the ones who have stayed are pressed with higher classroom sizes, meaning children are getting less one-on-one engagement, and teachers are fighting for even more eyes and ears during instruction time. Simultaneously, teaching has become a less popular career choice as the reputation for doing so diminishes. In the last decade, teacher enrollment programs have dropped in participation by a third. In 2018, less than 50% of Americans said they hope for their child to become a teacher when they grow up. In 2009, it was 70%. Current teachers are leaving the profession at higher rates than ever before. According to USA Today, which captured the data of eight states, several noticed a turnover rate of between 13 and 16% in the 2021-2022 school year. 
Teachers are also leaving mid-school year at higher rates. To back up this data point, my friend, who was a school social worker in Texas, saw two teachers quit within the first week of school this year, leaving administrators scrambling to find subs in the gap. Now that you know all that today's teachers deal with, guess how much they get paid to do it. According to Niche.com in 2017, the average starting salary for teachers nationally at the time was $38,617 annually. Do you know what that means? That means every week, a 25-year-old teacher will go to school because they entered college hopeful, wanting to inspire and shape young minds. Their optimism will be crushed the second they sit at their desk and open their email to a parent telling them they're not doing their job right, that they are at fault for their child's failing grades. That child will enter the classroom and throw their backpack on the floor. When she kindly and patiently asks him to pick it up, he'll throw back, F you, bitch. Administrators will ask her what she could have done differently. Later, she'll be cussed at by a parent in an IEP meeting. She'll use her planning period to make sure she's meeting state standards in her lesson plan and stress over the numbers that aren't good enough. Her students will return from gym class, and chaos will ensue when a disgruntled pupil starts tearing all the books off the shelves. She'll need to safely collect the rest of the children and instruct them to go across the hall while the misbehaving student continues to wreak havoc on the classroom, taking their anger toward the world out on desks, chairs, bulletin boards, and supplies she had to fundraise by herself that summer. Once the student has calmed down, they'll break down and tell her they didn't have breakfast this morning, and they're hungry. As they begin to cry, she'll notice a bruise on that student's arm, just under the sleeve, only noticeable now that they're sitting so close, and the child has shifted in just the right way. After gently asking some questions, the students go home, and she's technically off the clock, but she'll sit at her desk for an extra hour on the phone with Child Protective Services. She went to school to teach, but just a fraction of her day was spent doing what she learned in her master's program last year. The rest was spent on parts they never tell you about, and she'll cry about those parts on the way home, just thankful that it's Friday. As she pulls into her driveway, a notification from Apple News will ping on her phone. Another school shooting. Two teachers, three nine-year-olds dead. Her chest will tighten, and the tears she just wiped away will begin to resurface. As soon as the are-we-next thoughts start racing through her head, She'll be interrupted by another notification that her weekly paycheck is available. She'll open it, and the screen will mock her with the numbers that stare back at her. $742.63. Rent's due tomorrow. So the next time you wonder why teachers are quitting, I want you to think about her. By now, I hope some of you are thinking, what can we do to help? I'll start with this. If you are a parent, see your child's teacher as an ally, not an enemy. When they come to you with concerns, listen. Have the courage to sit down and ask what the root issue is. Appropriately discipline your child. Teach them to socialize. Teach them to entertain themselves when adults in the room are preoccupied. Teach them how to hold a frickin' pencil. Don't just fork them a screen. It is your job to educate them when their school teacher is off the clock. They graciously take over so that you can go to work. Respect that. Be the parent that sends in snacks or pencils or books just because. Be the parent that writes thank you cards. Be the parent that teaches their child that teachers are to be held in high regard. Tell them a bedtime story about a superhero, their teacher. Attend school board meetings and understand the type of issues that are being discussed at your child's school. These are all things likely weighing on their teachers. Advocate on their behalf. And if you maybe aren't a parent and you have a teacher in your life, maybe a family member or a friend, ask them how they're doing. 
Let them vent when they're having a bad day, a hard time with a student or a parent. When you can budget it, surprise them with a $5 Venmo for coffee. When they post their Amazon list over the summer, contribute. If you have a school administrator in your life, ask them what they're doing to support their teachers. If their answer is pizza parties, tell them they're not doing enough. Ask them if they know every teacher by name and what's going on in their lives. Ask them if they're empathizing with, supporting, and believing them when they're approached with concerns. Ask them if they're providing optional opportunities for teachers to engage in self-care. Ask them when the last time was that they invited a teacher into their office simply just to ask them how they're doing. Ask them if they've written to a lawmaker with concerns regarding the new curriculum and the standards they've come with, noting that your teachers already have enough on their plates. I would personally like to start helping here with a giveaway. This Thursday, I'll be posting a giveaway for a $50 Amazon gift card. To enter, follow the Not Good Podcast on Instagram, like the giveaway post, and tag a teacher you know in the comments. On Friday, one of those tags will be randomly selected, and they will be emailed the gift card to use for supplies, coffee, or whatever the heck they need. Start making a difference in a teacher's life by entering this week. To all my teachers out there, former and present, thank you for what you do. I see you, I'm on your side, and I firmly believe that you deserve better. If there's anything I can do to directly advocate for you, please don't hesitate to ask. And as someone who was just around the corner to becoming a new parent, and a much too short four years away from enrolling her in preschool, I am so determined to raise a kid who knows to respect you, who will be an absolute peach to have in class. So keep doing what you're doing. I pray that someday you'll feel more seen, heard, and appreciated than you do right now. And if you stop doing what you're doing, I don't blame you at all. I'm sorry that something you were once excited and passionate about has been stripped away. And I hope you can find new things that ignite you and allow you to use the compassion, care, and inspiration you already naturally carry. Either way, please take care of yourselves. Talk about it. I've left a link in the show notes regarding support resources for teachers, such as Teachers Connect Online Forum and We Are Teachers Helpline. If you feel your role as a teacher has left you more anxious or depressed, please look into getting professional help from a therapist. Incorporate self-care into your daily routine. Give yourself the same care and compassion you give to the children you work with every day. You deserve it. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Not Good Podcast. To all who responded to my Instagram prompt, thanks so much for the insight and material you provided for me to complete this episode. And a special thanks to my mom for sharing her own experiences and perspectives. Love you, mom. Teachers, please head to the show notes for an article regarding support resources and be sure to enter the Amazon gift card giveaway on Instagram this week at Not Good Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the Not Good Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow along on Instagram for more content throughout the week again at Not Good Podcast. I'll be back with the second to last episode of season one next week. I hope you're good, but I'll be here if you're not.